This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here on Soul to Soul. It's good to be back. It's good to be with you, Craig. And <clears throat> today we're just under 11 days from Shavuot, 12 days from Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, towards the end of the counting of the Omer. And we are in the last parsha of the book of Ayikra. There's hopefully lots to bring about and discuss and develop. But Craig, you know this already, that we don't start without some good music. And this is an a cappella song called Piha Pascha here on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul, here live at the Chai FM studio, the Ferengen Show, every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. And let's start with a story. Earlier today I was talking with a friend and we were discussing how so many subjects can be best explained through a story. And that sometimes the best way for a concept to come across is to give a story that exemplifies it. So I want to share a story that I heard when I was a young boy. I was nine years old at the time, and there's very few stories I remember from the age of nine, but this is one of the stories I remember. There was a holy Jew by the name of Remendel, who has been mentioned on this radio show and other shows in the past. His name was Remendel Futterfass, a wonderful, wonderful sage who passed away in 1995, um, after a lifetime of dedication and incredible, incredible piety, just to give you an example, he spent years and years and years in a gulag in a Russian um, prison, a Russian camp, simply for the fact that he helped other Jews escape the Iron Curtain. And he literally spent 15 years of his life in a prison cell. Um, alone while his whole family had managed to emigrate to London. And immediately when he came out, he continued his work on behalf of the Jewish community in, in Russia. And then when he finally left Russia, um, after suffering quite a few tragedies, even while leaving, losing many of his children to various different illnesses, etc., eventually became a, one of the great mentors in Israel of uh, yeshiva students. And he was a, he's a, was a legend in his time and definitely after his passing. His name was Ramendel Futterfass. And at that, when I was nine years old, I was learning with Reb Mendel's grandson. Reb Mendel's grandson was my teacher. So Reb Mendel was quite, it was not very long before his passing. And Reb Mendel had come to New York. He was living in Israel at the time. And he was being hosted by his grandson. And... We came over to our teacher's home, and we all gathered around the sage with this long white beard. He literally looked from a different planet, and in our young minds, he made the most incredible impression, and he shared a story in Yiddish, and this is a story he shared, and as I mentioned, there's very few stories, if any other story I, I remember from that age, but hearing it from him as he told it to us left an indelible impression. He said the following says, there was once a kid in school, and 
in those days in school, you didn't have a pen, but rather you had an ink pen. And the way the ink pen would work is you would have a little uh, cup of ink at the front of your desk, and you would then dip your pen into the ink every once in a while, create some suction, put it in, and then when you ran out of ink, you would again stick your pen in and get some more ink. It was a messy business. The ink would always tip over. Kids would spill it. Kids would throw it at each other. It was a messy business, but without ink, you pretty much couldn't take any notes, and you could not follow the class. So Mendel says a story. He says, there's this kid that turns to his friend. And he says, Yankele, Jack, whatever, Yankele, can I have ink? I ran out of ink. Can I have? And Yankele turns to his, his classmate and he says, absolutely not. Why should I share my ink with you? Simple story, right? Happens a million times a day all across the world. You ask for a favor. And the answer is no. The teacher noticed this communication, and he decided to digress from the class, and he starts with a question. He says, everyone open the prayer book to the first page. The first page of the prayer book says, which literally translates, um, I thank you. Every morning we say this, I thank you, my dear God, living and eternal God, that you returned my soul to me with kindness. How great is your faith in me? How great is your faith? So the teacher bellows out to this yankel, to this kid who refused to give ink to his friend. He bellows out and he screams and he says, Yankele, what does the word moida mean? And Yankele responds, the way he was taught. Moida, I'm grateful. And the teacher bellows and screams. And when we heard the story, it was he got a slap across the face as well. That was from the, the old times. Teacher slaps him across the face and says, no. Moida translates that when your friend asks you for ink, you give him ink. And then the teacher says, what's the next word? Ani. How do you translate Ani? I, I, I'm grateful. Slap. Ani's translation is when your friend asks you for ink, you share ink. And so he goes with every single word. Shechez lefanecha, in front of you. No. When your friend asks you for ink, you give ink. That was the story Rav Mendel said. Small, simple, anecdotal story. And what was he trying to tell us? We were a bunch of eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds sitting in front of him. He says, remember that the most beautiful prayer that we say every single morning, the moment we wake up, its true translation, its ultimate translation, is not merely, oh God, I am grateful for the fact that you gave me back my soul with kindness and mercy. No, 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 no. When your friend asks you for ink, you give ink. When your friend needs a favor, you give them a favor. That the, the tremendous, uh, the accomplishment, 
the goal of our Yiddishkeit is there to make us, the goal of our religion and our practice and our study is there to make us into kinder, gentler, more generous people. That is Modani, that's the Siddur, that's the Torah, that is what Torah is there to make us. In the words of the Talmud, Le'nitra Torah Yisrael. The Torah was given, the simple translation of the word is to give merit to the Jewish people. But the other translation is Zach, to purify, to make us refined, to make us nicer and kinder and softer. Or in the words of the other words of the sages, Torah was given to bring people together, to take the creations, to take various individuals and bring them together and bring them united. As we're coming closer to Shavuot, we're less than two weeks away from the most incredible holiday. One of the three mega holidays of the year. Shalosh Pamim Bashana, three times a year, the Jews had a responsibility in biblical times to come up to the temple to bring sacrifices, to be seen and to see. And one of those times was this Chag, the Chag of Shavuot, the Chag, the holiday of the giving of the Torah's Man Matan Torah, the time that the Torah was given. Although this is a, seems to be a mini holiday, unlike Passover and Sukkot, which are each eight days, nine days, this is a two-day holiday, and in Israel it's merely one day, seemingly fleeting and, and quick, and yet this is one of the three mega holidays, and in some way the greatest, because this is the culmination of both the Passover experience and both of the, and also the Sukkot story, where the Jews were surrounded with clouds of glory. This was all for them to become a nation, all for them to stand around the mountain and say, Na seven ishma, I will do and I will hear, we will do and we will hear. That was the culmination, that's where it was going. This is the pinnacle. And the pinnacle of the giving of the Torah, the ultimate purpose of that, is to do another favor for another person. In the words of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, the great sage, whose, whose yard site, whose day of passing is actually on, on Shavuot, he said that a soul can come into this world their entire life, 70, 80 years, 90 years. And the entire purpose, the entire objective of the soul, and the soul will fulfill their plan simply by doing a favor to another person. Just to do a favor for another. That is where it all boils down to. To be kinder to one another. To be gentler to one another. To be more forgiving from one another. To be more open with our pockets and our hands and our mind and our words, just being more generous and empathetic. When you look at a crazy world out there, you ask yourself, what would bring us all together? What would take a world that seems to be insane? I mean, just follow all the elections going on and all the, you know, the radicalism and the populism, whatever your opinions are, on various changes, there's no question that people as a, as a, as, as society, all across the world are feeling very unsettled. And at the core is this worry, can we treat one another better? Will things work out better? Can we create a kinder, more generous, 
more forgiving society. At the core of everything is this need to make the world a nicer, softer place. This is 101.9 Chai FM, and I I want to play a song that we've played recently as well, one of my favorite songs, which really talks about this concept. It's called A Small Piece of Heaven, a beautiful song on how to look on one another, here on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 Chai FM. We started off the show talking about the incredible value that our kindness has and how the the point of the Torah, what Torah is there to make us into is to better people, to make us into kinder people. And it f- makes me think about something very personal to me. I've mentioned earlier this year on the show that just under five months ago, I lost my dad quite suddenly. He's a young man, 61 years old, um, and left a large family, 12 children, many of them quite young. Truth is, all of us are quite young and quite in shock. And for a long time, I, I really struggled to think about it and talk about it. At the beginning, obviously, it was overwhelming. And then for quite a few months, I kind of pushed it to the side and tried to go on with my life, which is obviously what deep down I know that he wanted me to do. And only recently, I've like, it's, I'm allowing it subconsciously to resurface and to think about and to reflect on his life and what, what he is remembered for and the impact he's made. And as somebody that's taken away in the prime of their life, the, the, challenge, but also the beauty is that you can actually look at their lives and see at, in, literally quite recently, the days before, the impact that they made, that they were literally fully involved. It wasn't just, you know, they, they stepped aside from activity. They were within the activity, within all the excitement, and just were taken away suddenly. So reflecting on it and trying to digest it. Over the past few months, we've been hearing lots and lots of stories, mostly my siblings. I've been living here in South Africa. My father was in New York, and my siblings are all in New York. And although I do hear some information here from people I knew, and most of the information I hear from my siblings where we discuss, thank God for WhatsApp in today's day and age, where we get to just share and mourn and remember together. And one of the things we've been hearing over and over and over from people is not necessarily about my father's knowledge. And he was a very knowledgeable fellow. He was an editor of a large, large publishing house and was literally had a close to photographic memory of information and knowledge um, of Torah, etc. We, we don't hear anything about it. The only people we heard it from are the people he worked with. But what we heard is about, oh my gosh, your father, he was my best friend. He treated me so well. Whenever I asked him for a discount on the books, he gave me a bigger discount than anybody else. He gave me 50, 60% off his books. And we always laugh when we sit there saying, you thought he was your friend? Well, I'll tell you 500 other people that are convinced my father was their best friend because he also gave them a 50% discount because, you know, he believed in their organization or believed in what they did or just because he wanted to share information and share Torah with other people. 
and so many people walking over and saying, your father is cared about me. Your father worried about me. This year, my father died five weeks before Purim. And there was a certain Jew that walked over to my uncle in Brooklyn, one of my father's brothers. And he says, you know, he was a, he, this individual always felt like an outsider in Brooklyn. He had a very different background than the, the area where he lived. And he struggled to adjust. And he said, he told my uncle, every year when it came Purim, I only gave gifts, Mishloch Manot, to two Jews. And one of them was your brother. Because your brother was the only person that just saw me as a human being. And just smiled at me and made me feel welcome in the area. And this year, he says, I only have one Mishloch Manot to give. I lost my second one. Which is heartbreaking, but also so amazing. Because we never even knew this guy existed. It's not as if my father ever mentioned that this person's name. And this was the one a person that every year gave my father a gift simply because my father acknowledged his existence because he saw him as a human being and just smiled at him and made him feel like he cares about them. And my father was also a matchmaker and therefore had interaction with thousands and thousands of people, boys, girls, parents, etc., etc., etc. And... All it boils down to is what, what he's remembered for and what he's missed for is simply his kindness, his warmth, his empathy. You know, often when we're in this world, when we're, when we're, we're alive and we're, please God, may we all live to 120, 180. When we're alive, our goals are very much what we're going to make out of ourselves and how much success we'll have. And what kind of, uh, what level of the company will climb to? And how much earnings will we have? And yet the greatest riches of all, truly the greatest riches, are the amount of people we impact. The amount of people that we made their lives just a little better. That's the greatest richness. And as people who deal, we all have families, communities, friends, etc. The greatest richness and wealth you can develop is the impact, the love, the enrichment that you give to the people around you. Money in the bank is not wealth. It's a nice gift. It's beautiful. It's not wealth. It's not what we're remembered for. It's not what brings us joy. It's not what makes our life purposeful. It's a nice bonus. No one's, you know, I'm, I'm not anti-money. Um, but when that becomes a sole aspiration, and unfortunately we meet so many people that that is the single focus, to make money, to become famous, to become popular, to earn respect. But the true wealth is the people we're surrounded with, the people whose lives we enrich. I mentioned it a while ago, just after my father's passing, that my father had has 12 children and had 14 siblings. And plus my mom, there were 27 of us sitting shiva around the table, around in the house, all in the same house, 27 of us sitting shiva for one individual and each one of us crying and remembering and loving this one individual passed on. 
And I looked at myself. My father was a man who was never physic, uh, financially wealthy. He was always somewhat in debt and always just struggling to make ends meet. But I looked around and I just scanned the room hundreds of times over that week and asked myself one simple question. Who is wealthier than this? Fourteen siblings that he got along with, every single one of them. Beautiful marriage with my mom and twelve kids who miss him and love him dearly and who plan on continuing his legacy and his tradition. What is wealthier than that? And I'll be honest, when my father was alive and I had a relationship with him, I never saw him, I saw him as a nice person. I never appreciated the impact he made, the the thousands of people that came to his funeral, the thousands of people that came during the week of Shiva telling us that he was their best friend. We didn't even know these people. Who are you? My father had a policy that if you were his kid's friend, you were then his friend. So pretty much every single one of my classmates were convinced that my father was the best friend because, what do you mean, they're my classmates. But I have 11 siblings, and we all have classmates and friends. And by extension, everyone is their friend. Everyone's his friend. Everyone's his family. Is there anything wealthier than that? Is there anything richer than love? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that we're brought into this world to grow our character and to grow relationships, our relationships with Hashem and our relationships with each other, whether it's our relationship with siblings, with our spouse, with our children. Obviously, the easiest thing maybe is to avoid all these relationships and then not have to grow, but we all know that the greatest joy and satisfaction is when we put ourselves into these relationships that are always complex and dynamic and multifaceted, and through them we find purpose and meaning. And that's why so much of, of, of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism, is about family and relationships and, you know, getting married and having children and the way to honor parents and siblings. It's all about interaction with other human beings. It's such – it's not an isolationist religion. It's not about living on a mountaintop. It's about – really getting engrossed in the complexity of relationships. And relationships are complex, but they're also the most enriching and rewarding thing. And truly what we are here for, to make impact, to touch the soul and the heart of people. Irrelevant if the person that we're touching and and impacting is famous or simple or seemingly insignificant or a big power player. That's nothing to do. It's about just touching souls, touching people, showing kindness, smiling more. And I have to say that in that way, I think the South African Jewish community is one of the most incredible Jewish communities. I was sitting and talking with a person who, like myself, has lived in many different countries before moving to South Africa. And he says he's lived in various cultures all across the world. And he says what's amazing about the South African community is people see you. You exist. You're not just a face. You actually exist in their mind. How are you? What's up? Etc. Not everyone's your best friend, obviously, but you exist. You're a presence. You mean something to people. And I, I could personally say that I felt the same way moving to this country. You know, I only moved here eight and a half years ago. Eight and a half years ago, I didn't know a soul in this country. And yet, was, when moving over here, you just, the first thing you realize is you, you're a person. You're acknowledged. You're cared for. You're, you, you're, you, you exist. 
and to think of the infrastructure of organizations in this community that care for every single need imaginable is incredible. This truly is a community of kindness. This truly, the South African Jewish community is truly the most incredible Jewish community in the world. And I say that not patronizing. Uh, I'm honored to have become part of it, although I'm not a natural. Um, this is not where I was born, and I only moved here later on in life. But without a doubt in my mind, this is the most incredible Jewish community. And wherever we've moved all around the world, wherever South Africans have moved, they've touched and made the community much, much better. Definitely not like the original, but incredible, incredible community. And fundamentally, what makes the South African Jewish community so beautiful is its its warmth and its kindness and its infrastructure of chesed. It has many, many strengths, but at the core, what what has kept this community cohesive is we don't let anyone fall within the between, between the cracks. We care. We see you. So as we enter Shavuot, as we come closer to the giving of the Torah, and as we come towards the end of the counting of the Omer, we remember that the only way to come to the giving of the Torah, to receive the God's will, to take religion upon ourselves, the only way to truly do that is to come after the Omer. And what is the Omer? The Omer is working on our character, forgiving one another, being kinder to one another, showing mercy and compassion to one another. Because if there's one thing I've learned from my father ever since he passed away is with all his amazing achievements, and he, the man was a very, achie- very accomplished individual, the greatest accomplishment that will endure forever in the hearts that he impacted was that he was simply a man that didn't stop smiling, a man that loved people. My father never knew how to hold a grudge. He would sometimes get a little angry, but within... A few minutes after, he totally forgave. My father did not know how to hold a grudge, and he just loved people. And the words of the Hasidic masters, they say, what an incredible gift it is from heaven when God gives us a natural love to other people. In other words, one of the great gifts we can aspire for and pray for that we should be gifted and to pray that our children be gifted is to be smiling, lovely people, in the words of the sages, to have a chush, to have a, a feel, to have a, 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 a passion to help another person. What an incredible, incredible legacy. This is 101.9 Chai FM here on Soul to Soul. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 Chai FM. Talking about kindness. In these challenging times, many people are under pressure And for some, it can all become too much. Who does one turn to? Chai FM will be starting a helpline later this year, and we are looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, email helpline at chaifm.com, chaifm.com. 101.9 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. This is Rabbi Levi Afsin, 101.9 Chai FM. And as always, our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. Our SMS number is 34519. Once again, WhatsApp 061-895-1019. And SMS, the number 34519. Next Tuesday, please God will be on the show, 
is Rosh Chodesh. It's the beginning of the month of Sivan. A new month is upon us. And the month of Sivan is the month, obviously, as we've been mentioning throughout the show, the month that the, the Torah was given. On the first day of the month, next Tuesday, is the day that we all encamped around the mountain. Vayichan Sham Yisrael Kenegadahar, the Jews all camped around the mountain that they would then receive the Torah at, where God would descend onto the mountain and share the Ten Commandments, I am God, your God, etc. And on that day, at that moment, we, the Rashi tells us in the name of the Talmud, Ke'ish echad echad, we rested as one person with one heart. At that moment, before we received the Torah, for just a flicker of a moment in history, we came together and we loved one another, and we realized that we are all one. When I look around, and I, when you look around, when we all look around and see whether it is what's going on in the European elections, whether what's going on in the United States, even what's going on currently with the Israeli um, putting together of the government and how that will play out, what you see is people lost. That's what you see. I mean, people voting in radical governments because they're frustrated with the status quo. It's not as if the status quo was giving them everything they wanted, thinking that the solutions will be these, simplis- these simplistic one-liners, populist ideas. And people are just grasping and, and begging for answers and unfortunately going to very strange places to get those answers. And as an unfortunate outcome, it exasperates xenophobia and antisemitism and racism. When people feel unsettled, they automatically get terrified from others. And the second an other is seen, then that person is guilty of everything. And unfortunately, we do see antisemitism rising, at least an exposure across the world, as well as other xenophobia. And what we have to remember from the story of the giving of the Torah and as the Jews encamped is that if we truly want to receive the Torah, in other words, if we truly want to create a society that's healthy, the foundation of it is seeing each other as one, as sharing one heart. If we see each other as competitors, if we see each other as other, we will never truly be able to create a community of our dreams. And I want to make it, I want to take it more from the abstract macro to the micro. The Jewish community across the world is dealing with very, very heavy assimilation rates. In some countries, as high as 7 out of 10, some countries 5 out of 10, some countries 3 out of 10. And although this country hasn't reached the numbers of the most um, heartbreaking numbers, it's definitely been growing in the last 20, 30 years at a rate that is alarming. And without a question in my mind that the greatest challenge for the Jewish community today is to, is to assure that the Jewish community 
continues to flourish and grow and to make sure people, um, you know, stay true to, they are married within their faith, um, have a passion for their religion, etc. Each, each tradition has to respect its tradition. And as a Jew, a person must respect where they come from and where they're going. And yet so much of our energy, whether it's local, whether it's overseas, whether it's in Israel, the politics, etc., is, is spent on belittling the other, finding what makes the other different. Oh, gosh, you go to that movement, you go to that shul, you go to that rabbi? Oh, gosh, really? That's pathetic. Instead of realizing we're all fighting the same battle, whether this person follows that teacher and the other person follows that teacher, whether we go to this shul or that shul, and Kanina Hara, thank God, in, in this community, shuls pop up every weekend. Regardless of what nuance and flavor resonates with us, we're all on the same team, fighting for continuity and faith and Love and, and kindness. That's what we all are. And unfortunately, all too often within the community, we get distracted from where we're heading and we start fighting inward. There's no question that not only, f- um, spiritually, but even historically, what's always destroyed the Jewish community was our own disunity. Obviously, we've always had enemies from with, from without. But when we look at the second temple era, we look at the first temple era, when we look at the, the in Egypt, etc., 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 we see a repetition. And the truth is, when you look at Israel today, there's no question in my mind that, please God, Israel is going to live until Mashiach comes and beyond. But if we're ever going to struggle in anything, it's not necessarily going to become from the Iranians or the Hamas, etc. Although they are a challenge, in no way belittling it. It's going to come from within us if we can get along, if we can see each other as sisters and brothers, if we can remember that despite political parties and political nonsense, we're ultimately all one family. And yes, we can bicker, but we are all one family. That will guarantee without a question any community. Whether you look at the Jewish community throughout history, whether you look at Rome, etc., societies never collapse from without. They collapse from within, and then the outsider just comes and swallows it all up. But a, but a society that has a strong core never loses itself. Interesting. I don't know why. I've, I, yesterday I was reading a bit of uh, this wonderful book on leadership, and to bring out a point... It goes into Chinese history, and it talks about a certain character named Zheng, Zheng De, who was in the 14th century, a huge revolutionary in ancient Chinese history, and how at his time, China was absolutely at the top of its game, had the most incredible expeditions, the most incredible government and, and cooperation, etc. And then after the emperor at the time died, they took a whole isolationist approach and they, they kind of start doubting their own ability to govern their self, let alone go out to the rest of the world. And then they went into five, six hundred years of feeling inadequate. And only recently did they bring out whatever you feel about the Chinese today. There's no question that they now have taken an approach of self-confidence and expansion. And I'm not saying everything they do are, is is wonderful, but 
what gave them back their confidence and what now they're turning this, f- this very same Zheng De into the big hero is they realized that what caused them so much pain over the last few hundred years, and China has been through a lot, was ultimately started by their own feeling of inadequacy and then allowing others to come and invade. And the moment they started believing in their own strength, they were able to flip the coin. So obviously I'm not a Chinese philosopher and I'm not claiming to know the whole history, but that's the, I, I, I read that chapter yesterday. And it just makes the point vivid that as a community, our greatest strength is inward and our greatest weakness, heaven forbid, is inward. Let's build up ourselves and let's build up our cohesion and then we truly are. Invincible. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. So, here we are. We're about to bless a new month. This Shabbos, we bless the month of Sivan. We are around the corner from the incredible holiday of Shavuot. And as we spoke throughout the show, As we get ready to receive the Torah, let's make sure that we are a vessel that can receive the Torah, that we are a cup in which the Torah will rest and not spill through. And what is the cup that is the correct vessel within which to pour all our knowledge and all the Torah that we learn into a heart of love? Torah enters a brain and truly impacts a brain only if the brain is married with a heart of love. But if our heart, heaven forbid, is full of spite and resentment and self-judgment, rather self-righteousness and judgment of others, then although Torah enters the brain, it doesn't penetrate the brain and doesn't truly create within us the impact it was there to make. Torah in our brain must be married with Avat Yisrael in our heart. It has to be married with love and compassion in our heart. Otherwise, it, it can not only not affect us positively, it can be used destructively. Religion can make, can be used by a person that doesn't have a kind heart as a cause for judgment and self-righteousness and pettiness and fights. Only when the heart is whole and then the brain is full of Torah information do we have a truly beautiful marriage. Do we have a person in which religion truly brings out the best of what they have? All too often we hear about people who are so-called religious and are not kind people. And what we often forget is, although religion is in the brain, the Torah we learn, and religion is in our arms and legs in what we do, it needs to be supplemented and complemented by Judaism in our heart and a heart that is loving and forgiving and kind. And only when we have a truly wholesome human being with a healthy mind, a healthy heart and a healthy body, do we then uh, see the magic of what Torah is supposed to do for us. But if we only isolate Torah to the brain and to the body and we isolate it away from the heart, then not only are we neglecting a third of what Torah has to replay, in truth, even the other two-thirds are being damaged because a Torah brain without a Torah heart is, can be actually destructive and could cause pain. Let us all work as we are about to receive the Torah, and please God, there's going to be in every synagogue, in every community, there'll be shirim, 
and lots of study of Torah, please God. An incredible, incredible opportunity to learn. Let's always remember that as we grow our knowledge in our brain, let's grow the warmth in our heart. And let us make sure that at the same time that we ch- we are getting closer to God through studying his Torah and following his mitzvot, God demands of us and begs us to get closer to his other children, to those all around us. Because only when we have that dual relationship of us and him and us and each other do we see the beauty of what Sinai was really all about. Wishing you and yours a great day. Please, God, we'll be back next Tuesday here from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Chai FM. Have a great week.